right. Well, good morning to everybody. And thank you again, Brother Dan, Miss Jackie, and for the, all Amen. the children that contributed to that great slide. So we just, we just got to witness. Today we're going to continue our study in the Book of Revelation. We're going to read uh, the first eight verses of Chapter Six, Revelation Six, verses one through eight. And when you find it, would you please stand? Okay, Revelation Chapter Six. Verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and his rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quarter of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his, rider was, and his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. and Lord, we're so thankful for the gospel message that we've already... We've already heard this morning, grateful for your word, grateful for your gift of eternal life. Lord, we just ask now that you bless this reading and proclamation of your word. Bless it and that all, everyone in this room may truly hear and understand. And we do pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that does not know you in truth, that this would be the day that they would surrender to your lordship, seeking your forgiveness, and enjoying your gift of eternal life. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated. Well, amen. We've already heard the gospel this morning, so it makes my job easier, right? All I have to do now is compliment it some. Good thing we're coming from the same book because uh, that's that's exactly what Scripture does <clears throat> against itself is is uh, compliment some pass- one passage complimenting another. So good good to have the uh, the gospel message already um, before us as we go to this this morning because it is so easy, especially in a in a book like the Revelation, uh, it is so easy to get distracted um, by uh, by secondary things, uh, and, and we don't want to lose sight of the main things, the main things, that, that, uh, that God is God, right, like we just saw in some of the passages that were presented, for example, uh, Colossians there, um, God is God, and as it says in Genesis, He created all things, um, and that Christ is Lord over all, Christ is the only Savior that, that, is, um, that exists, the only way of reconciliation to God. 
uh, and that we, we come to Him through faith, uh, come to God through faith in Christ, faith in His saving work. So it's good to have those things in view. Um, those are the main things, the main thing in the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So He's being presented to us as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're seeing um, God's redemptive purpose in the midst of things going on in this world. Um, by the way, that was, that was a, a really, I mean, just a good presentation. God created, right? We sinned. God provided. We respond. Very, very simple and, uh, and very, very good. Very good. Profound. All right. It's the truth that everybody needs to hear. That's the, saving, that's the gospel that saves. That's the gospel that saves and the gospel that sanctifies. All right, um, let's go through. All we're going to deal with in the, in the remaining time is the, um, the four horsemen here. And these, boy, these are uh, the subject of much talk and speculation. And, and so we're going to try not to speculate too much. I mean, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to, have to um, uh, consider some things here that we're not sure about, but we're, we'll try not to go uh, overboard with the speculation. So what is happening here, remember... Uh, that we're in the second vision of, of John, the second vision that is given to John, the Apostle John. And he is watching these events unfold in heaven. And remember the, uh, the, the scroll being presented back in, the, in, in uh, uh, chapter 5. Um, I saw in the hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. And there was a search made for someone worthy to... Uh, open the scroll to break the seals. And that's what we're getting to now. So keep, so keep that in mind. You've got a, you can picture in your head a, a, a rolled up scroll and it's sealed with seven seals on it. And, and that was common. My understanding is that was, uh, that, that is the way a, an official Roman document was, was done, uh, an important document. Uh, so that's the picture here. So who is worthy to break the seals? Open the scroll, unroll it as it were, so that we can see the contents of it. And remember, there was only one found worthy, and there is great emphasis on that in chapter 5. There is one found worthy, and that is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the Root of David, verse 5 says, chapter 5, verse 5. He was found to be worthy. Who is he? Well, he's, he's the Lamb slain. Verse uh, verse six, and there's a description of, of him there as the the slain lamb. Who is that? Well, of course, that's that's Jesus, the Lamb of God. Remember John the Baptist crying out, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Uh, and of course, the the idea there, the language there, is pointing back to um, to all of the lambs who were slaughtered throughout uh, the ages in the the Levitical worship as coverings for sin. Right? People would bring. As, as a sacrifice for their sin, they would bring a, a lamb. Sometimes other animals were used depending on the requirements for, the, for the, uh, the, the individual sacrifices. But people would bring these animals and they would slaughter them. And uh, the idea was it was an offering to God to, to, to make appeasement you know, as a covering for sin. But those things did not really take away sin. In fact, those things just pictured God's provision. We just saw in the thing, God provided. Pictured the true Lamb. Well, that true Lamb is Jesus Christ. He came offering Himself, and His own offering of His self 
is sufficient to take away sin, right? So he, he makes the real sacrifice. He's the ultimate lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In a true sense, the, the, the blood of bulls and goats um, don't take away sin. The blood of the lamb, that is Jesus, does. And so this is the lamb of God who is singled out in chapter 5 as the only one who is worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals thereof, and as we've been saying repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, the idea here is to um, bring all of history to its proper end. And the reason I'm not limiting that to redemptive history, God's, God's plan of salvation, is because it's not limited to that. It, it also includes the judgment of the world. So who is worthy to, to bring all of, all of creation all of history to its proper end, including the judgment of the world and the full, complete salvation of God's people. Well, the Lamb is worthy. The Lamb who was slain and who is now risen, again, as we saw in the slideshow. God provided, and a Lamb was killed, Jesus was killed, but He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. Uh, and being declared in His resurrection, being declared the Son of God. Now, we've got all those things in our head. Well, I think we can move kind of rather quickly here uh, through, the, through the four horsemen. Uh, and the, these are the first four seals. Uh, I should say this. This is not the, the uh, as I understand it, this is not the actual opening of the scroll. This is leading up to that. So, so the seals, you know, it's just like, again, if you picture that, you've got a scroll sealed with seven seals, and you go one at a time breaking the seal so that you can open the scroll. So that's, that's what it's, it's leading up to, the eventual, uh, again, bringing all of history to its proper end. So I think what we're seeing here in the, in the uh, um, first, the breaking of the first seals and, and really... Um, you, I would say that at least the first five, the first six is going to, is going. Uh, I'm sorry, the sixth one is going to bring us to the very, the very end, uh, and we'll talk about that, Lord willing, when we get there. Uh, but but the first five, you, you can think of in terms of history, you can think of as as events that are going on now and and throughout the church age. So I'll try to unpack that a little bit as as we go through it here, but. But I think that's the idea here. So here's what John sees. Verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I know um, th- there is a variation in s- some of the ancient manuscripts here, so I know uh, that that is reflected in our translation. So, so you may be looking at a translation like the King James that says, Come and see. That's because there are some manuscripts that, that actually read that way. Um, I, I, given the context, uh, I, I think just come is more accurate because I don't think he's talking to John, come and see. I think what it, he, he's calling out each one of these four horsemen. You're going to see that as we move through here. He's saying to the first horseman, come. There was a voice like thunder saying to the first horseman, come. In other words, the time is now, come. And do what you're supposed to do. So verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. 
And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Well, what is the world? What in the world is that? And there's a lot of um, difference in opinion here on on what we're going to attempt to do here is identify these. There's a lot of difference of opinion on who the first one is. So I'm, so I'm just letting you know there's no. Um, consensus among scholars and, and preachers or, and, you know, any, any Bible interpreters, uh, Christians, period. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I think is right, and, and I'll also tell you this. You know, this is just an alternative view. For example, I was looking at John MacArthur's uh, commentary, and, and he interprets this to be the Antichrist or the beast who will, who will bring uh, a, a false peace, relative peace for a season. So he comes as a, according to John MacArthur, he comes as a Christ-like figure. And MacArthur points out that although he is, he is, um, it is said here that he has a bow. It's it's not mentioned that you know he has arrows. And so he he's saying that what you know, in other words, there's no real war. That, that what this is talking about is conquering through a relative, uh, or a temporal, or a false peace. So that's one interpretation out of many. Um, that's, that's not the one that I go with. And, and so here's what I, what I think, and I'll tell you why. I, th- I think what's being pictured here, and again, keep in mind that I think these are events playing out through the church age. In other words, what we're living right now. So I think what's represented here is probably um, a reference to the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Uh, some interpreters see this as Christ. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that really fits here. Um, Christ is opening the seal. Uh, plus, you know, he's not identified as such. Plus, it, it, it doesn't seem um, fitting that he would be commanded to come uh, by uh, one of the four living creatures and, and do what he's got to do, right? He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lord of Glory. Uh, so, so I, I don't think this is referring to Christ, but I do think it is referring to the the, the spread of the gospel in the world, um, the kingdom of God, you could say, the establishment uh, of the kingdom and its its advancement, its going forth throughout this present age. Now, one reason that I don't think the interpretation of the anti, being the antichrist and all that is is uh, appropriate is because. He's pictured here as a white horse. And in the book of Revelation, um, as elsewhere too, in some other places, but consistently in the book of Revelation, white refers to either Christ or something associated with Christ or some kind of you know, righteous victory or something of that sort. And I can give you lots of, uh, lots of uh, references for that. Let me just give you a couple. I've got a whole list of them here, but... Uh, just for example, um, in chapter 1, verse 14, when John sees the glorified Christ, it says, The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. So the whole idea is there's you know, something pure, something beautiful, something holy is being presented. Um, in chapter 3, verse 5, the promise is made to the church at Sardis. The one who, who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of 
the book of life. So there you have the, the, the blessing of eternal life, and I think the, the, the white garments there probably represents the righteousness of Christ. You'll be clothed in white garments, and, uh, and you'll have eternal life. I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. So it, it consistently in the book of Revelations refers to either Christ or something associated with him. If, if this represents something evil, uh, this white horse and horseman, uh, then, then this is an exception. So it seems safer to me to, to uh, understand it as something associated with Christ. Now, what does it mean he, he, he came out conquering and to conquer? Well, you, if you think about that in terms of the gospel, that's exactly what's happening. The gospel is going out in spite of the evil and conquering the world. That is, the gospel is continuing to spread throughout the world in spite of all opposition. All right? So I think that's what's represented there, and that's an uh, that's that's an awesome thought. The rest of the, the other three won't be so um, pleasant. Okay. So then in verse three, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, "Come!" And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So the second rider takes peace from the earth, and the result is that people slay one another. Certainly something that is going on in our day and has, right? In other words, this is not an unusual event. So, so again, I think it's referring to things that are happening during this present age that we live in. Uh, and the whole picture here is we're leading up to the end time. You know, this, the, the revelation uh, that is being given to John and ultimately to us it's, it's leading up to the end time, but we haven't got there yet with these, these events that are being discussed. Uh, I think it's describing the present age. So when he opened the th- uh, third seal, verse 5, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil, and wine. So, um, apparently what we have represented there uh, with, with uh, this third rider coming out, um, black horse, is scarcity, um, or a term I like um, because of the description here, uh, inflation. That's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> inflation. Inflation of what? Well, the cost of dietary staples. That's what the, uh, the grain and the barley represent here. In the first century, if you were living pretty good, you would have, you would have had the, the good stuff, you know, the grain. But if you more on the poor side, you would have eaten barley. Um, and a denarius, he mentions here, you know, you hear this uh, voice call out a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius was a, a day's wage at that time for a... For a uh, a worker, a day laborer. So in other words, what you've got pictured is a quart of wheat is costing them a day's wage. So, so what, it, what it would, uh, and a quart being a, about a day's supply. So, so every day you're, you're living on uh, what, you're, what you're making literally. You know, it's, you're, you're burning up your, your money. Or if you're poor and you're eating barley, you get three quarts. Uh, so that's enough to, to feed about three people per day. For the same amount, for a day's wage. So if you had a small family of three, you're still 
what you're, what you're making in a day is getting spent in the same day. So the idea is there is scarcity or, or, uh, or as I said, inflation. You know, the stuff is available, but the prices are skyrocketing. And he says, yet do not harm the oil and wine. So this is, this is a scarcity, we could say, uh, in measure or limited scarcity. We're not talking about full-blown famine, evidently, but, uh, but we're talking about hard times. So again, the term inflation is fitting to me. Does that go on today? Absolutely, right? So, so far, if, if, the, if the white horse represents the advancement of the gospel, um, well, that's certainly taking place. And then the, uh, the, the taking away of peace on the earth, in other words, men slaying one another, and then inflation and scarcity, those are all things that are common to human history. They're, they're going on now. So I don't, I don't think we're, we're seeing future things here. All right, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. Now, this time we're explicitly told. We don't have to do any, um, any speculating at all. What does the fourth horseman represent? It's a pale horse. Even that, even that what, is, what does that make you think of? Well, when somebody has died, they're definitely pale, right? I mean, you've got that pale ash color. So you got a pale horse, and its rider's name is Death. He explicitly tells us. The rider's name is Death, and Hades follows him. What is Hades? It's the place of the dead. The grave. Or, or you, you could think not, not, you know, not literally the, the hole in the ground, but, um, but the place where the, uh, where the dead go. The underworld you know, is the way it's sometimes referred to. So that definitely follows death, doesn't it? When you die, then you go to the place of the dead. Right? Uh, so that's the picture here. Uh, his rider, the rider's name is Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. Now, this sounds similar, doesn't it, to the second horseman. You may have noticed that. Um, peace was taken from the earth. So that men would slay one another. And then you get down here to the fourth horseman and it says well, they're, they're given authority over a fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword. So um, I'm, I, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm looking for some uh, difference, nuance. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, it seems to me that, that um, the second horseman would, would have in mind more, uh, let me say it this way, uh, one man against another man type thing. In other words, this horseman takes away peace from the earth, and when peace is taken away, and, and I would say it this way, you think of it in terms of the removal of divine restraint. Right? So you take away God's restraining power, what will happen? Well, one of the things that will happen is people will kill one another because we are sinners, and if God does not restrain us, then we will live out uh, the fullness of our sinfulness. So, so the second horseman, he takes away peace from the earth. He, it's a removal of divine restraint. And so the result is they slay one another. They kill each other. It's the only reason we don't see a whole lot more uh, murder today. And, and I know you may think, well, we see an awful lot of it. We do. But, but really the only reason everybody is not out there killing everybody and we haven't uh, eliminated ourselves really a long time ago, 
is because of God's restraining power, what we call general grace. In His grace, He restrains evil to some degree to keep us from um, just going to the full extent of the evil that is in our hearts uh, apart from Christ. So, so the second horseman does that. It's a removal of, of uh, divine restraints, what seems to be taking place there. He takes peace from the earth, and so they slay one another. But the fourth horseman seems to have more in view uh, larger events, you know, war, not just one man slaying another man, but nation rising up against nation. So um, there's the sword and war. And then not only war, but there's also famine, pestilence, and attacks of wild beasts. And again, all of these things are things that are going on now. And if you go back and read Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, when Jesus is is asked about the end times and he's giving uh, descriptions about his second coming, he talks about these things as being the norm. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places, but the end is not yet, he says. Now, these are just the beginnings of birth pangs. All right, so, um, and if you know anything about birth pangs, what, what they do, they start out small, but they, they increase over time and they get more frequent and more intense. And so the closer we get to the end of the age... Um, the tribulation in this world, the evil in this world, more frequent, more intense. That's what Jesus seems to be saying with his analogy of birth pangs. But the events themselves are not uncommon. These, the world is broken, and these thing, things have been happening since, uh, since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Nation has been rising against nation uh, since the beginning of time. Men have been killing, against, uh, killing each other since the beginning of time, ever since Cain killed Abel. Um, there's been there have been pestilence and and uh, famine, right? And and there and there will be until Jesus returns. So all of these things are common to the present age. So I think that's that's what is being described here. In other words, this is how it is in the world. Now, and I got to do this quickly so we can finish here. But re- remember the verse I pointed us to last week. John 16:33. even though it's out of a whole other context, the Gospel of John is by the same author, author uh, the Apostle John. But even though it's coming out of the same, uh, a different context, it seems to me to be a, like a, a, a perfect summation of the book of Revelation. Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now that's the message of the book of Revelation, the Revelation. We are shown all the way through here that in the world, we as Christians will encounter tribulation. These things are happening and we're not immune. Famine, pestilence, wars, men slaying one another. We've, just in recent weeks, we've seen Christians not only being included, but being targeted. And uh, uh, sometime last week, uh, you know, ISIS put out a, a, a video uh, for that very purpose, to, to say we are now targeting uh, the nation of the cross, Christians. So in the world you have tribulation. But the Lord doesn't want us to despair. He wants us to be of good cheer because He's overcome the world. So let me just say this and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. 
That's, that's why I, another reason it seems um, appropriate to me that the first horseman represents not, not another evil power like the Antichrist or something like that, but the, but the advancement of the kingdom of God in the middle of all this evil that's going on. So, while men are slaying one another, while there are wars and rumors of wars, while there is pestilence and famine and so forth, at the same time, there's this white horseman going about conquering the world, in a sense. It's not that the whole world is becoming Christianized. No, that's certainly not happening. But... Throughout the world, the gospel is penetrating and people are being saved. Right? That's, that's the white horseman. So, in the midst of all this evil, he is sent forth, the white horseman, representing the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God. He comes out conquering and to conquer. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have conquered, Jesus said. And that's the encouragement that the Lord wants us to pull, I think, uh, from the book of Revelation, from the Revelation. We live in a broken world where real, objective, evil exists and is happening every day. Yet, God is in control. The gospel is advancing. The kingdom of God is not being defeated. As a matter of fact, you know, again, to, to use that picture of the horseman conquering and to conquer, think about uh, Jesus' words to Peter when he says, The gates of hell or Hades shall not do what? Prevail against the church, right? And I don't take that as a, as a, as a, a description of the church on defense. I take it as a description of the church on offense. Because what what are gates for? You don't go attacking people with gates. What what you what you do with gates is try to keep people out, right? And if they prevail against the gate, then they get in and and spoil the kingdom, right? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. The gates of hell, Hades. The place of the dead will not prevail against the church. So the church is the one on offense. And the gates of hell cannot shut down the advancement of the kingdom. Cannot. The church prevails. The white horse is conquering. And that's the age that we live in. So be encouraged by that. I mean, Because again, we look at the news. You know, A few weeks ago, 21 um, Coptic Christians... Uh, martyred a few days ago. Uh, it was almost the same number. I think it was 28 this time. 28 Ethiopian Christians martyred. Um, and, and those are just, you know, there's a lot of it going on that's not even being uh, well reported. Those are just some of the reports that we're hearing. And it, it sounds like things are spinning out of control. And what Jesus wants us to know is that He's in control. And that the, the gospel is still advancing. In fact, again, you go back and read Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. What has to happen is that the gospel has to go out through, through the whole world before the end can come. Because in glory, there's going to be before the throne people from every people group worshiping 
the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. All right, real quick and we're done. Just a little bit of application here. The Lord has graciously included us in His redemptive plan. Not just as recipients of His mercy, though that alone ought to amaze us, right? But also as proclaimers of His mercy and demonstrators of His mercy. You know, we, we saw Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us. Well, guess what? We get to demonstrate that too. Yeah, and that's different, of course. When, when God demonstrated His love in Christ, it actually had saving power. Now, you and I don't save anybody, but, but we can still dis- demonstrate the love of God, the grace of God, by showing grace and love towards others, being merciful to, to others. So we get to participate in God's redemptive purposes by being gracious towards others and by carrying the gospel message. We have the privilege of proclaiming the gospel. The white horseman pictures us, the church, going out, proclaiming the gospel, and by the, by the grace and power of God, the gospel advancing, the kingdom of God advancing. So we have the pr- privilege of proclaiming the gospel of grace to the world, and we have the privilege of demonstrating His grace for the world. We, we can proclaim and we can live the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. We, like Paul, are ambassadors for Christ, calling people to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And this is what I mean by having the privilege of, of participating how is it that people are saved? How are people saved? Read in the Word. Through the preaching of the Gospel, right? So if that's how they're saved, there has to be some preachers, don't there? So you and I have to carry the message. We get the privilege of doing that. It's also a mandate, by the way. It's also a duty. <laughs> but I want to emphasize the word privilege because it is a glorious Privilege, But a duty, nonetheless, Jesus says in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And Paul says this, and you may want to go back and look at this on your own as well, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making His appeal through us. Do you hear that? God making His appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I think that is what is pictured with the white horseman in the midst of all of this evil that is pictured with the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse, in the midst of all of that, all of these events that are taking place now in this present age, at the same time, the kingdom of God is going forward. It's advancing. It's growing. It's growing in number. And God is using us to accomplish that through the preaching of the gospel. We are ambassadors of Christ calling people, imploring people, Paul says, to be reconciled to God. And that's how I want to close this morning. On Christ's behalf. 
if you this morning are not reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, I implore you, be reconciled to God. If not, rather than knowing God's grace, you will know His judgment. Would you stand, please? Let's pray and, and, uh, and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, for the glorious gift of salvation that we've heard about this morning. In the slide show presented so well there, and even pictured in the images we see in the book of Revelation, You extending grace through the gift of Your own Son, Jesus, to die in our place so that all who believe, all who that will come to You through faith in Jesus Christ, accepting the payment that He's made for our sins, so that all who do that may have everlasting life, may know You in truth and have everlasting life and not perish. Thank You for Your mercy. And Lord, I do pray, again, if there's anyone in this room today who does not know You and know Your saving power, may this be the day that they will surrender to You, experience Your love, Your grace, and inherit the promises of eternal life in Your presence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.